0: letter ten part two of letters on demonology and witchcraft by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain read by dion gines salt lake city utah the most celebrated instance in which human agency was used to copy the disturbances imputed to supernatural beings refers to the ancient palace of woodstock when the commissioners of the long parliament came down to disbark what had been lately a royal residence the commissioners arrived at woodstock thirteenth october sixteen forty nine determined to wipe away the memory of all that connected itself with the recollection of monarchy in england but in the course of their progress they were encountered by obstacles which apparently came from the next world. Their bedchambers were infested with visits of a thing resembling a dog, but which came and passed, as mere earthly dogs cannot do. Logs of wood, the remains of a very large tree called the King's Oak, which they had splintered into billets for burning, were tossed through the house, and the chairs displaced and shuffled about while they were in bed the feet of their couches were lifted higher than their heads and then dropped with violence trenchers without a wish flew at their heads of free will Thunder and lightning came next, which were set down to the same cause. Spectres made their appearance, as they thought, in different shapes, and one of the party saw the apparition of a hoof, which kicked a candlestick and lighted candle into the middle of the room, and then politely scratched on the red snuff to extinguish it other and worse tricks were practised on the astonished commissioners who considering that all the fiends of hell were let loose upon them retreated from woodstock without completing an errand which was in their opinion impeded by infernal powers though the opposition offered was rather of a playful and malicious than of a dangerous caste the whole matter was after the restoration discovered to be the trick of one of their own party who had attended the commissioners as a clerk under the name of giles sharp this man whose real name was joseph collins of oxford called funny joe was a concealed loyalist and well acquainted with the old mansion of woodstock where he had been brought up before the civil war being a bold active-spirited man Joe availed himself of his local knowledge of trapdoors and private passages, so as to favor the tricks which he played off upon his masters by aid of his fellow domestics. The commissioner's personal reliance on him made his task the more easy, and it was all along remarked that trusty Giles Sharp saw the most extraordinary sights and visions among the whole party the unearthly terrors experienced by the commissioners are detailed with due gravity by sinclair and also i think by dr Plot. but although the detection or explanation of the real history of the woodstock demons has also been published and i have myself seen it i have at this time forgotten whether it exists in a separate collection or where it is to be looked for similar disturbances have been often experienced while it was the custom to believe in and dread such frolics of the invisible world and under circumstances which induce us to wonder both at the extreme trouble taken by the agents in these impostures and the slight motives from which they have been induced to do much wanton mischief still greater is our modern surprise at the apparently simple means by which terror has been excited to so general an extent that even the wisest and most prudent have not escaped its contagious influence on the first point i am afraid there can be no better reason assigned than the conscious pride of superiority which induces the human being in all cases to enjoy and practise every means of employing an influence over his fellow-mortals to which we may safely add that general love of tormenting as common to our race as to that noble mimic of humanity the monkey to this is owing the delight with which every schoolboy anticipates the effects of throwing a stone into a glass-shop and to this we must also ascribe the otherwise unaccountable pleasure which individuals have taken in practising the tricksy pranks of a goblin, and filling a household or neighbourhood with anxiety and dismay, with little gratification to themselves besides the consciousness of dexterity, if they remain undiscovered, and with the risk of loss of character and punishment, should the imposture be found out in the year seventeen seventy two a train of transactions commencing upon twelfth day threw the utmost consternation into the village of stockwell near london and impressed upon some of its inhabitants the inevitable belief that they were produced by invisible agents the plates dishes china and glassware and small movables of every kind contained in the house of mrs golding an elderly lady seemed suddenly to become animated shifted their places flew through the room and were broken to pieces the particulars of this commotion were as curious as the loss and damage occasioned in this extraordinary manner were alarming and intolerable amidst this combustion a young woman mrs golding's maid named anne robinson was walking backwards and forwards nor could she be prevailed on to sit down for a moment excepting while the family were at prayers during which time no disturbance happened this anne robinson had been but a few days in the old lady's service and it was remarkable that she endured with great composure the extraordinary display which others beheld with terror and coolly advised her mistress not to be alarmed or uneasy as these things could not be helped this excited an idea that she had some reason for being so composed not inconsistent with a degree of connection with what was going forward the afflicted mrs golding as she might be well termed considering such a commotion and demolition among her goods and chattels invited neighbours to stay in her house but they soon became unable to bear the sight of these supernatural proceedings which went so far that not above two cups and saucers remained out of a valuable set of china she next abandoned her dwelling and took refuge with a neighbour but finding his movables were seized with the same sort of st vitus's dance her landlord reluctantly refused to shelter any longer a woman who seemed to be persecuted by so strange a subject of vexation mrs golding's suspicions against anne robinson now gaining ground she dismissed her maid and the hubbub among her movables ceased at once and for ever this circumstance of itself indicates that Anne Robinson was the cause of these extraordinary disturbances as has been since more completely ascertained by a mr Brayfield who persuaded Anne long after the events had happened to make him her confidant there was a love story connected with the case in which the only magic was the dexterity of anne robinson and the simplicity of the spectators she had fixed long horse-hairs to some of the crockery and placed wires under others by which she could throw them down without touching them other things she dexterously threw about which the spectators who did not watch her motions imputed to invisible agency at times when the family were absent she loosened the hold of the strings by which the hams bacon and similar articles were suspended so that they fell on the slightest motion she employed some simple chemical secrets and delighted with the success of her pranks pushed them farther than she at first intended such was the solution of the whole mystery which known by the name of the stockwell ghost terrified many well-meaning persons and had been nearly as famous as that of cock lane which may be hinted at as another imposture of the same kind so many and wonderful are the appearances described that when i first met with the original publication i was strongly impressed with the belief that the narrative was like some of swift's advertisements a jocular experiment upon the credulity of the public but it was certainly published bona fide and mr hone on the authority of mr Brayfield, has since fully explained the wonder many such impositions have been detected and many others have been successfully concealed but to know what has been discovered in many instances gives us the assurance of the ruling cause in all i remember a scene of the kind attempted to be got up near edinburgh but detected at once by a sheriff's officer a sort of persons whose habits of incredulity and suspicious observation render them very dangerous spectators on such occasions the late excellent mr walker minister at donatar in the merns gave me a curious account of an imposture of this kind practised by a young country girl who was surprisingly quick at throwing stones turf and other missiles with such dexterity that it was for a long time impossible to ascertain her agency in the disturbances of which she was the sole cause the belief of the spectators that such scenes of disturbance arise from invisible beings will appear less surprising if we consider the common feats of jugglers or professors of legerdemain and recollect that it is only the frequent exhibition of such powers which reconciles us to them as matters of course although they are wonders at which in our father's time men would have cried out either sorcery or miracles the spectator also who has been himself duped makes no very respectable appearance when convicted of his error and thence if too candid to add to the evidence of supernatural agency is yet unwilling to stand convicted by cross-examination of having been imposed on and unconsciously becomes disposed rather to colour more highly than the truth than acquiesce in an explanation resting on his having been too hasty a believer very often too the detection depends upon the combination of certain circumstances which apprehended necessarily explain the whole story for example i once heard a sensible and intelligent friend in company express himself convinced of the truth of a wonderful story told him by an intelligent and bold man about an apparition the scene lay in an ancient castle on the coast of morven or the isle of mull where the ghost-seer chanced to be resident he was given to understand by the family when betaking himself to rest that the chamber in which he slept was occasionally disquieted by supernatural appearances being at that time no believer in such stories he attended little to this hint until the witching hour of night when he was awakened from a dead sleep by the pressure of a human hand on his body he looked up at the figure of a tall highlander in the antique and picturesque dress of his country only that his brows were bound with a bloody bandage struck with sudden and extreme fear he was willing to have sprung from bed but the spectre stood before him in the bright moonlight its one arm extended as if to master him if he attempted to rise the other hand held up in a warning and grave posture as menacing the lowlander if he should attempt to quit his recumbent position. Thus he lay in mortal agony for more than an hour, after which it pleased the spectre of ancient days to leave him to more sound repose. So singular a story had on its side the usual number of votes from the company, till upon cross-examination it was explained that the principal person concerned was an exciseman, after which a The same explanation struck all present—that is, the highlanders of the mansion had chosen to detain the exciseman by the apparition of an ancient heroic ghost, in order to disguise from his vigilance the removal of certain modern enough spirits which his duty might have called upon him to seize. Here a single circumstance explained the whole ghost story at other times it happens that the meanness and trifling nature of a cause not very obvious to observation has occasioned it to be entirely overlooked even on account of that very meanness since no one is willing to acknowledge that he has been alarmed by a cause of little consequence and which he would be ashamed of mentioning an incident of this sort happened to a gentleman of birth and distinction who is well known in the political world and was detected by the precision of his observation shortly after he succeeded to his estate and title there was a rumour among his servants concerning a strange noise heard in the family mansion at night the cause of which they had found it impossible to trace the gentleman resolved to watch himself with a domestic who had grown old in the family and who had begun to murmur strange things concerning the knocking having followed so close upon the death of his old master they watched until the noise was heard which they listened to with that strange uncertainty attending midnight sounds which prevents the hearers from immediately tracing them to the spot where they arise while the silence of the night generally occasions the imputing to them more than the due importance which they would have received if mingled with the usual noises of daylight at length the gentleman and his servant traced the sounds which they had repeatedly heard to a small storeroom used as a place for keeping provisions of various kinds for the family of which the old butler had the key they entered this place and remained there for some time without hearing the noises which they had traced thither at length the sound was heard but much lower than it had formerly seemed to be while acted upon at a distance by the imagination of the hearers the cause was immediately discovered a rat caught in an old-fashioned trap had occasioned this tumult by its efforts to escape in which it was able to raise the trap-door of its prison to a certain height but was then obliged to drop it the noise of the fall resounding through the house had occasioned the disturbance which but for the cool investigation of the proprietor might easily have established an accredited ghost story the circumstance was told me by the gentleman to whom it happened there are other occasions in which the ghost story is rendered credible by some remarkable combination of circumstances very unlikely to have happened and which no one could have supposed unless some particular fortune occasioned a discovery an apparition which took place at plymouth is well known but it has been differently related and having some reason to think the following edition correct it is an incident so much to my purpose that you must pardon its insertion a club of persons connected with science and literature was formed at the great sea-town i have named during the summer months the society met in a cave by the seashore during those of autumn and winter they convened within the premises of a tavern but for the sake of privacy had their meetings in a summer-house situated in the garden at a distance from the main building some of the members to whom the position of their own dwellings rendered this convenient had a pass-key to the garden door by which they could enter the garden and reach the summer-house without the publicity or trouble of passing through the open tavern it was the rule of this club that its members presided alternately on one occasion in the winter the president of the evening chanced to be very ill indeed was reported to be on his deathbed. the club met as usual and from a sentiment of respect left vacant the chair which ought to have been occupied by him if in his usual health for the same reason the conversation turned upon the absent gentleman's talents and the loss expected to the society by his death while they were upon this melancholy theme the door suddenly opened and the appearance of the president entered the room he wore a white wrapper a nightcap round his brow, the appearance of which was that of death itself. He stalked into the room with unusual gravity, took the vacant place of ceremony, lifted the empty glass which stood before him, bowed around, and put it to his lips, then replaced it on the table, and stalked out of the room, as silent as he had entered it. The company remained deeply appalled at length after many observations on the strangeness of what they had seen they resolved to despatch two of their number as ambassadors to see how it fared with the president who had thus strangely appeared among them they went And returned with the frightful intelligence that the friend after whom they had inquired was that evening deceased the astonished party then resolved that they would remain absolutely silent respecting the wonderful sight which they had seen their habits were too philosophical to permit them to believe that they had actually seen the ghost of their deceased brother and at the same time they were too wise men to wish to confirm the superstition of the vulgar by what might seem indubitable evidence of a ghost the affair was therefore kept a strict secret although as usual some dubious rumours of the tale found their way to the public several years afterwards an old woman who had long filled the place of a sick-nurse was taken very ill and upon her deathbed was attended by a medical member of the philosophical club to him with many expressions of regret she acknowledged that she had long before attended mr naming the president whose appearance had surprised the club so strangely and that she felt distress of conscience on account of the manner in which he died she said that as his malady was attended by light-headedness she had been directed to keep a close watch upon him during his illness unhappily she slept and during her sleep the patient had awaked and left the apartment when on her own awaking she found the bed empty and the patient gone she forthwith hurried out of the house to seek him and met him in the act of returning she got him she said replaced in bed but it was only to die there she added to convince her hearer of the truth of what she said that immediately after the poor gentleman expired a deputation of two members from the club came to inquire after their president's health and received for answer that he was already dead this confession explained the whole matter the delirious patient had very naturally taken the road to the club from some recollections of his duty of the night in approaching and retiring from the apartment he had used one of the pass-keys already mentioned which made his way shorter on the other hand the gentleman sent to inquire after his health had reached his lodging by a more circuitous road and thus there had been time for him to return to what proved his deathbed long before they reached his chamber. The philosophical witnesses of this strange scene were now as anxious to spread the story as they had formerly been to conceal it, since it showed in what a remarkable manner men's eyes might turn traitors to them and impress them with ideas far different from the truth another occurrence of the same kind although scarcely so striking in its circumstances was yet one which had it remained unexplained might have passed as an indubitable instance of a supernatural apparition a teviotdale farmer was riding from a fair at which he had indulged himself with john barleycorn but not to that extent of defying goblins which it inspired into the gallant tam-o'-shanter he was pondering with some anxiety upon the dangers of travelling alone on a solitary road which passed the corner of a churchyard now near at hand when he saw before him in the moonlight a pale female form standing upon the very wall which surrounded the cemetery the road was very narrow with no opportunity of giving the apparent phantom what seamen called a wide berth it was however the only path which led to the rider's home who therefore resolved at all risks to pass the apparition he accordingly approached as slowly as possible the spot where the spectre stood while the figure remained now perfectly still and silent now brandishing its arms and gibbering to the moon when the farmer came close to the spot he dashed in the spurs and set the horse off upon a gallop but the spectre did not miss its opportunity as he passed the corner where she was perched she contrived to drop behind the horseman and seize him round the waist a manoeuvre which greatly increased the speed of the horse and the terror of the rider, for the hand of her who sat behind him when pressed upon his felt as cold as that of a corpse at his own house at length he arrived and bid the servants who came to attend him take off the ghost they took off accordingly a female in white and the poor farmer himself was conveyed to bed where he lay struggling for weeks with a strong nervous fever the female was found to be a maniac who had been left a widow very suddenly by an affectionate husband and the nature and cause of her malady induced her when she could make her escape to wander to the churchyard where she sometimes wildly wept over his grave and sometimes standing on the corner of the churchyard wall looked out and mistook every stranger on horseback for the husband she had lost if this woman which was very possible had dropped from the horse unobserved by him whom she had made her involuntary companion it would have been very hard to have convinced the honest farmer that he had not actually performed part of his journey with a ghost behind him there is also a large class of stories of this sort where various secrets of chemistry of acoustics ventriloquism or other arts have been either employed to dupe the spectators or have tended to do so through mere accident and coincidence of these it is scarce necessary to quote instances but the following may be told as a tale recounted by a foreign nobleman known to me nearly thirty years ago whose life lost in the service of his sovereign proved too short for his friends and his native land at a certain old castle on the confines of hungary the lord to whom it belonged had determined upon giving an entertainment worthy of his own rank and of the magnificence of the antique mansion which he inhabited the guests of course were numerous and among them was a veteran officer of hussars remarkable for his bravery when the arrangements for the night were made this officer was informed that there would be difficulty in accommodating the company in the castle large as was unless some one would take the risk of sleeping in a room supposed to be haunted and that as he was known to be above such prejudices the apartment was in the first place proposed for his occupation as the person least likely to suffer a bad night's rest from such a cause the major thankfully accepted the preference and having shared the festivity of the evening retired after midnight having denounced vengeance against any one who should presume by any trick to disturb his repose a threat which his habits would it was supposed render him sufficiently ready to execute somewhat contrary to the custom in these cases the major went to bed having left his candle burning and laid his trusty pistols carefully loaded on the table by his bedside he had not slept an hour when he was awakened by a solemn strain of music he looked out three ladies fantastically dressed in green were seen in the lower end of the apartment who sung a solemn requiem the major listened for some time with delight at length he retired ladies he said this is very well but somewhat monotonous will you be so kind as to change the tune the ladies continued singing he expostulated but the music was not interrupted the major began to grow angry ladies he said i must consider this as a trick for the purpose of terrifying me and as i regard it as an impertinence i shall take a rough mode of stopping it with that he began to handle his pistols the ladies sung on he then got seriously angry i will but wait five minutes he said and then fire without hesitation the song was uninterrupted the five minutes were expired i still give you law ladies he said while I count twenty. This produced as little effect as his former threats. He counted one, two, three accordingly, but on approaching the end of the number and repeating more than once his determination to fire, the last numbers, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, were pronounced with considerable pauses between, and an assurance that the pistols were cocked the ladies sung on as he pronounced the word twenty he fired both pistols against the musical damsels but the ladies sung on the major was overcome by the unexpected inefficacy of his violence and had an illness which lasted more than three weeks the trick put upon him may be shortly described by the fact that the female choristers were placed in an adjoining room and that he only fired at their reflection thrown forward into that in which he slept by the effect of a concave mirror other stories of the same kind are numerous and well known the apparition of the brocken mountain after having occasioned great admiration and some fear is now ascertained by philosophers to be a gigantic reflection which makes the traveller's shadow represented upon the misty clouds appear a colossal figure of almost immeasurable size by a similar deception men have been induced in westmoreland and other mountainous countries to imagine they saw troops of horse and armies marching and counter-marching which were in fact only the reflection of horses pasturing upon an opposite height or of the forms of peaceful travellers a very curious case of this kind was communicated to me by the son of the lady principally concerned, and tends to show out of what mean materials a venerable apparition may be sometimes formed. In youth this lady resided with her father, a man of sense and resolution. Their house was situated in the principal street of a town of some size. The back part of the house ran at right angles to an Anabaptist chapel, divided from it by a small cabbage garden the young lady used sometimes to indulge the romantic love of solitude by sitting in her own apartment in the evening till twilight, and even darkness, was approaching. One evening, while she was thus placed, she was surprised to see a gleamy figure, as of some aerial being, hovering, as it were, against the arched window in the end of the Anabaptist chapel. Its head was surrounded by that halo which painters give to the Catholic saints, and while the young lady's attention, was fixed on an object so extraordinary the figure bent gracefully towards her more than once as if intimating a sense of her presence and then disappeared the seer of this striking vision descended to her family so much discomposed as to call her father's attention he obtained an account of the cause of her disturbance and expressed his intention to watch in the apartment next night he sat accordingly in his daughter's chamber where she also attended him twilight came and nothing appeared but as the gray light faded into darkness the same female figure was seen hovering on the window the same shadowy form the same pale light around the head the same inclinations as the evening before what do you think of this said the daughter to the astonished father anything my dear said the father rather than allow that we look upon what is supernatural a strict research established a natural cause for the appearance on the window it was the custom of an old woman to whom the garden beneath was rented to go out at night to gather cabbages the lantern she carried in her hand threw up the refracted reflection of her form on the chapel window as she stooped to gather her cabbages the reflection appeared to bend forward and that was the whole matter another species of deception affecting the credit of such supernatural communications arises from the dexterity and skill of the authors who have made it their business to present such stories in the shape most likely to attract belief defoe whose power in rendering credible that which was in itself very much the reverse was so peculiarly distinguished has not failed to show his superiority in this species of composition a bookseller of his acquaintance had in the trade phrase rather overprinted an edition of drelincourt on death and complained to defoe of the loss which was likely to ensue the experienced bookmaker with the purpose of recommending the edition advised his friend to prefix the celebrated narrative of mrs veal's ghost which he wrote for the occasion with such an air of truth that although in fact it does not afford a single tittle of evidence properly so called it nevertheless was swallowed so eagerly by the people that drellincourt's work on death which the supposed spirit recommended to the perusal of her friend mrs Bargrave, instead of sleeping on the editor's shelf moved off by thousands at once the story incredible in itself and unsupported as it was by evidence or enquiry was received as true merely from the cunning of the narrator and the addition of a number of adventitious circumstances which no man alive could have conceived as having occurred to the mind of a person composing a fiction it did not require the talents of defoe though in that species of composition he must stand unrivalled to fix the public attention on a ghost story john dunton a man of scribbling celebrity at the time succeeded to a great degree in imposing upon the public a tale which he calls the apparition evidence the beginning of it at least for it is of great length has something in it a little new at minehead in Somersetshire lived an ancient gentlewoman named mrs lecky whose only son and daughter resided in family with her the son traded to ireland and was supposed to be worth eight or ten thousand pounds they had a child about five or six years old this family was generally respected in minehead and especially mrs lecky the old lady was so pleasant in society that her friends used to say to her and to each other that it was a thousand pities such an excellent good-humoured gentlewoman must from her age be soon lost to her friends to which mrs lecky often made the somewhat startling reply forasmuch as you now seem to like me i am afraid you will but little care to see or speak with me after my death though i believe you may have that satisfaction die however she did and after her funeral was repeatedly seen in her personal likeness at home and abroad by night and by noonday one story is told of a doctor of physic walking into the fields who in his return met with this spectre whom he at first accosted civilly and paid her the courtesy of handing her over a stile observing however that she did not move her lips in speaking or her eyes in looking round he became suspicious of the condition of his companion and showed some desire to be rid of her society offended at this the hag at next style planted herself upon it and obstructed his passage he got through at length with some difficulty and not without a sound kick and an admonition to pay more attention to the next aged gentlewoman whom he met. But this, says John Dutton, was a petty and inconsiderable prank to what she played in her son's house and elsewhere. She would at noonday appear upon the quay of Minehead and cry, A boat, a boat, ho, a boat, a boat, ho if any boatmen or seamen were in sight and did not come they were sure to be cast away and if they did come twas all one they were cast away it was equally dangerous to please and displease her her son had several ships sailing between ireland and england no sooner did they make land and come in sight of england but this ghost would appear in the same garb and likeness as when she was alive and standing at the main-mast would blow with a whistle and though it were never so great a calm yet immediately there would arise a most dreadful storm that would break wreck and drown the ship and goods only the seamen would escape with their lives the devil had no permission from god to take them away yet at this rate by her frequent apparitions and disturbances she had made a poor merchant of her son for his fair estate was all buried in the sea and he that was once worth thousands was reduced to a very poor and low condition in the world for whether the ship were his own or hired or he had but goods on board it to the value of twenty shillings this troublesome ghost would come as before whistle in a calm at the mainmast at noonday when they had descried land and then ship and goods went all out of hand to wreck insomuch that he could at last get no ships wherein to stow his goods nor any mariner to sail in them for knowing what an uncomfortable fatal and losing voyage they should make of it they did all decline his service in her son's house she hath her constant haunts by day and night but whether he did not or would not own if he did see her he always professed he never saw her sometimes when in bed with his wife she would cry out husband look there's your mother and when he would turn to the right side then was she gone to the left and when to the left side of the bed then was she gone to the right only one evening their only child a girl of about five or six years old lying in a ruckle bed under them cries out oh help me father help me mother for grandmother will choke me and before they could get to their child's assistance she had murdered it they finding the poor girl dead her throat having been pinched by two fingers which stopped her breath and strangled her this was the sorest of all their afflictions their estate is gone and now their child is gone also you may guess at their grief and great sorrow one morning after the child's funeral her husband being abroad about eleven in the forenoon mrs lecky the younger goes up into her chamber to dress her head and as she was looking into the glass she spies her mother-in-law the old beldam looking over her shoulder This cast her into a great horror, but recollecting her affrighted spirits, and recovering the exercise of her reason, faith, and hope, having cast up a short and silent prayer to God, she turns about and bespeaks her. In the name of God, mother, why do you trouble me? Peace, says the spectrum, I will do thee no hurt. What will you have of me, says the daughter etc dunton the narrator and probably the contriver of the story proceeds to inform us at length of a commission which the wife of mr lecky receives from the ghost to deliver to atherton bishop of waterford a guilty and unfortunate man who afterwards died by the hands of the executioner but that part of the subject is too disagreeable and tedious to enter upon so deep was the impression made by the story on the inhabitants of minehead that it is said the tradition of mrs lecky still remains in that port and that mariners belonging to it often amid tempestuous weather conceive they hear the whistle-call of the implacable hag who was the source of so much mischief to her own family however already too desultory and too long it would become intolerably tedious were i to insist further on the peculiar sort of genius by which stories of this kind may be embodied and prolonged i may however add that the charm of the tale depends much upon the age of the person to whom it is addressed and that the vivacity of fancy which engages us in youth to pass over much that is absurd in order to enjoy some single trait of imagination dies within us when we obtain the age of manhood and the sadder and graver regions which lie beyond it i am the more conscious of this because i have been myself at two periods of my life distant from each other engaged in scenes favourable to that degree of superstitious awe which my countrymen expressively call being eerie On the first of these occasions, I was only 19 or 20 years old when I happened to pass a night in the magnificent old baronial castle of glamis the hereditary seat of the earls of strathmore the hoary pile contains much in its appearance and in the traditions connected with it impressive to the imagination it was the scene of the murder of a scottish king of great antiquity not indeed the gracious duncan with whom the name naturally associates itself but malcolm the second it contains also a curious monument of the peril of feudal times being a secret chamber the entrance of which by the law or custom of the family must only be known to three persons at once that is the earl of strathmore his heir apparent and any third person whom they may take into their confidence the extreme antiquity of the building is vouched by the immense thickness of the walls and the wild and straggling arrangement of the accommodation within doors as the late earl of strathmore seldom resided in that ancient mansion it was when i was there but half furnished and that with movables of great antiquity which with the pieces of chivalric armour hanging upon the walls greatly contributed to the general effect of the whole after a very hospitable reception from the late peter proctor esq then seneschal of the castle in lord strathmore's absence i was conducted to my apartment in a distant corner of the building i must own that as i heard door after door shut after my conductor had retired i began to consider myself too far from the living and somewhat too near the dead we had passed through what is called the king's room a vaulted apartment garnished with stag's antlers and similar trophies of the chase and said by tradition to be the spot of malcolm's murder and i had an idea of the vicinity of the castle chapel in spite of the truth of history the whole night scene in macbeth's castle rushed at once upon my mind and struck my imagination more forcibly than even when i have seen its terrors represented by the late john kemble and his inimitable sister in a word i experienced sensations which though not remarkable either for timidity or superstition did not fail to affect me to the point of being disagreeable while they were mingled at the same time with a strange and indescribable kind of pleasure the recollection of which affords me gratification at this moment in the year eighteen fourteen accident placed me then passed middle life in a situation somewhat similar to that which i have described i had been on a pleasure voyage with some friends around the north coast of Scotland, and in that course had arrived in the Saltwater Lake under the castle of Dunvegan, whose turrets situated upon a frowning rock rise immediately above the waves of the loch. As most of the party, and I myself in particular, chanced to be well known to the laird of MacLeod, we were welcomed to the castle with highland hospitality, and glad to find ourselves in polished society after a cruise of some duration the most modern part of the castle was founded in the days of james the sixth the more ancient is referred to a period whose birth tradition notes not under the present macleod connected by a drawbridge the site of the castle with the mainland of skye the access must have been extremely difficult indeed so much greater was the regard paid to security than to convenience that in former times the only access to the mansion arose through a vaulted cavern in a rock up which a staircase ascended from the seashore like the buildings we read of in the romances of mrs radcliffe such a castle in the extremity of the highlands was of course furnished with many a tale of tradition and many a superstitious legend to fill occasional intervals in the music and song as proper to the halls of dunvegan as when johnson commemorated them we reviewed the arms and ancient valuables of this distinguished family saw the dirk and broadsword of rory Moore and his horn which would drench three chiefs of these degenerate days the solemn drinking-cup of the kings of man must not be forgotten nor the fairy banner given to macleod by the queen of fairies that magic flag which has been victorious in two pitched fields and will still float in the third the bloodiest and the last when the elfin sovereign shall after the fight is ended recall her banner and carry off the standard bearer amid such tales of ancient tradition i had from macleod and his lady the courteous offer of the haunted apartment of the castle about which as a stranger i might be supposed interested accordingly i took possession of it about the witching hour except perhaps some tapestry hangings and the extreme thickness of the walls which argued great antiquity nothing could have been more comfortable than the interior of the apartment but if you looked from the windows the view was such as to correspond with the highest tone of superstition an autumnal blast sometimes driving mist before it swept along the troubled billows of the lake which it occasionally concealed and by fits disclosed the waves rushed in wild disorder on the shore and covered with foam the steep piles of rock which rising from the sea in forms something resembling the human figure have obtained the name of macleod's maidens and in such a night seemed no bad representatives of the norwegian goddesses called choosers of the slain or riders of the storm there was something of the dignity of danger in the scene for on a platform beneath the windows lay an ancient battery of cannon which had sometimes been used against privateers even of late years the distant scene was a view of that part of the quillen mountains which are called from their form macleod's dining-tables the voice of an angry cascade termed the nurse of rory Moor because that chief slept best in its vicinity was heard from time to time mingling its notes with those of wind and wave such was the haunted room at Dunvegan, and as such it well deserved a less sleepy inhabitant in the language of dr johnson who has stamped his memory on this remote place i looked around me and wondered that i was not more affected but the mind is not at all times equally ready to be moved in a word it is necessary to confess that of all i heard or saw the most engaging spectacle was the comfortable bed in which i hoped to make amends for some rough nights on shipboard and where i slept accordingly without thinking of ghost or goblin till i was called by my servant in the morning from this i am taught to infer that tales of ghosts and demonology are out of date at forty years and upwards that it is only in the morning of life that this feeling of superstition comes over us like a summer cloud affecting us with fear which is solemn and awful rather than painful and i am tempted to think that if i were to write on the subject at all it should have been during a period of life when i could have treated it with more interesting vivacity and might have been at least amusing if i could not be instructive even the present fashion of the world seems to be ill-suited for studies of this fantastic nature and the most ordinary mechanic has learning sufficient to laugh at the figments which in former times were believed by persons far advanced in the deepest knowledge of the age i cannot however in conscience carry my opinion of my countrymen's good sense so far as to exculpate them entirely from the charge of credulity those who are disposed to look for them may without much trouble see such manifest signs both of superstition and the disposition to believe in its doctrines as may render it no useless occupation to compare the follies of our fathers with our own the sailors have a proverb that every man in his lifetime must eat a pack of impurity and it seems yet more clear that every generation of the human race must swallow a certain measure of nonsense there remains hope however that the grosser faults of our ancestors are now out of date, and that whatever follies the present race may be guilty of, the sense of humanity is too universally spread to permit them to think of tormenting wretches till they confess what is impossible and then burning them for their pains End of letter ten, part two and of letters on demonology and witchcraft by sir walter scott